Amen. Well, uh, certainly appreciate you being here. My name is uh, Rob. For those of you who are new or uh, visiting with us or here to experience a little bit of vacation with family, uh, my name's Rob. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, you're welcome uh, to join us today. I'm glad you're here and uh, love to connect if you want to say hi afterwards. Uh, uh, love to say hi. Uh, you know, I was uh, impressed listening to the teens that went down to Project Timothy uh, because they also trying to encounter God, but at their own place and their own level. And teenagers obviously have a lot of uh, uh, life issues that they dealing with as their bodies are physically changing, as they're trying to figure out who's my friend and how do I fit in and, and how do they fit in in society at large and within the church. And yet, there seems like God has a special heart for uh, the teens, where He's revealing Himself to them, uh, disclosing who He is. And, and I know it's sometimes difficult to uh, describe, you know, what did it feel like to encounter the realness of God or the freshness of God? Uh, Kevin, can you put the words up for that last song? There was a, there was a, st a stanza there or a, a section that... Um, I can't remember the words, but it was connecting with me. And if you find it, I'll tell you which phrase it was. Yeah, this one. Let us become more aware of your presence. Uh, let us experience the glory of your goodness. You know, sometimes that's so uh, hard to put into words. Uh, Audrey, I want to pick on you. you. You're like shocked, like, wait a minute, I've never been up there. Now I'm up on the stage twice in one day, but... Any way you can put into words this, what you experienced at Project Tim Timothy, was there anything that you, uh, any way that you can describe of how you experienced the presence or the goodness of God? Can you do that? Is any, can you put that word or am I, am I just embarrassing you? It's kind of hard to put in words, right? But was that your experience? Would you say that those words describe what you experienced? Yeah, okay, so... There you go. So Audrey's saying, hey, I experienced that, the presence of God or the goodness of God. I can't really describe it to you, but it was real and, and valid. You know, so much so that I was having vacation up uh, in the Finger Lakes in Ithaca with my daughter. Uh, she's now going to be a senior at college. But she went to Project Timothy several years. And so we're up there, and next minute she's saying, they're all at Project Timothy right now. And I'm like, wow, that's a... Strange statement for a senior in college, for her thoughts to be thinking about, you know, a high school and pre-high school experience, because how powerful that was. And then later on during the day, you know, we'd be hiking up some like awesome waterfall at Watkins Glen or something, and my daughter will say something random like, I wonder if Christian Dunn is doing that uh, speech again, his sermon on uh, dating, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, wow, well, I don't know if anybody talks about my sermons five years later. <laughs> you know, while you're in a sort of an awesome hike. And you actually think, she's talking about dating sermons. Like, yeah, really made an impact. You know, I mean, like, that was good. So I hope you did do the dating sermon uh, for you guys, for your sake, that you experienced uh, some of that. And that God would just, you know, impact us and move. I, I, I've titled today's uh, sermon, Simply patience and eternity. <laughs> now, there's a, a, a lot of thought. Uh, patience and eternity, you know, eternal patience. No, just patience until we get to eternity. But uh, one of the questions 
I'm asking myself and might ask, you might want to ask yourself is, what motivates you to do uh, some of the good things you do? Uh, despite knowing that there's going to be difficulties. I mean, what motivates you to do these things? What motivates you to say, you know, this is going to be a good thing, and I know I'm going to pick up resistance, or there's going to be difficulties, or there's going to be a cost, or there's going to be a time factor uh, involved, but I'm motivated uh, to do that. And uh, I don't know if you picked up this news story, but I kind of enjoyed this story, uh, by a, a, a British guy, Lord Weidenfeld. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name exactly right. Lord Weidenfeld uh, felt motivated to do a bunch of good things despite resistance because he felt that he, had a, he needed to uh, repay a debt. And uh, so the story unfolds this way. Uh, just before the Second World War, he was a teenager in Austria. And uh, the Nazi regime was uh, winding up, and a bunch of Christians out of England, the Quakers and the Plymouth, Plymouth Brethren, uh, funded a train trip to get a whole bunch of Jewish teenagers out of harm's way, which was obvious. And so they paid for these kids to get out of Austria and they moved to England, and it turns out that he, uh, Lord Weidenfeld, he became very pr uh, prosperous. And now at the age of 95, uh, you know, he's knocking on death's door. He's extremely wealthy, and he just feels like, I've got a debt that I need to repay. I mean, you know, these Christians uh, reached out to me. I'm Jewish. Uh, they didn't try and convert me. They, they just showed God's love towards me. And he just feels this obligation to repay the debt. And so what he decided to do is he decided to rescue uh, 2,000 Christians out of Syria. Now, today, because the Christian uh, uh, minority is being heavily persecuted by every side of the Muslim regime, Shiites, uh, you know, whatever, whoever's around, whatever factions around, the Christians are in the crosshairs. And so he paid for a charter flight. Uh, he's already, the first flight was 150 people. Uh, they just shipped them out. And uh, now you've got your next challenge. Who's going to take them? And it, it just sadly, the way society has moved, you know, England is saying no. America is saying no. Uh, but Poland is saying yes. And so he's paid for them to be flown out of Syria to Poland, and he's paying for their well-being for the next 18 months. It's like, okay, we, we want to help these guys get established, and he wants to do this for 2,000 uh, Christians. And the funny thing is he's picked up all this resistance. So the first part of the resistance would be, well, why are you targeting Christians? What about Muslims? There's Muslims which are being persecuted. To which his response was, it was Christians that helped me, and I have a debt that I feel I need to repay, and I want to repay Christians. I'm not a Christian, I'm a Jew, but I want to repay Christians. And so he gets more flack, and people, he basically just says, look, get over it. I can't solve the whole world's problems. I can't solve everybody's persecution problems. I'm just trying to repay a certain group of Christians. And that's what he's doing, and I thought, well, that's really interesting. The guy is passionate about it. He's picking up all sorts of flack, like 
all of you will, no matter how small your project is, whenever you try to do something, whether it's good, uh, you, you always pick up resistance. Maybe it's just the resistance of cost. But so what? That's, that's what he's doing. Uh, but a different question is, what role does uh, eternity play in your life? Uh, and how do you deal with having a set of patients uh, I mean, we're not all 95 on death's door. Uh, so what role does eternity play in your life? And, and is there a need for some sort of patience where we're saying, okay, I'm looking forward to eternity, but what I'm experiencing right now isn't perfection. It, it isn't like eternity. And so how do you have the patience to deal with all the weeds that have come along in your life that try and choke out your life? Uh, how do you do that? Uh, or maybe even quoting a, a, a biblical verse of 1 Corinthians, uh, Kevin, if you'll put this up, 59:19, And it says, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. I, I mean, just pause there for a second. Uh, I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ, with the Lord, maybe you're uh, not yet a believer, maybe you've just you know, embraced uh, following Christ recently, uh, maybe you're new to faith, uh, where you're saying, look, I'm just trying to figure out how Jesus helps me right now. Uh, maybe this isn't the pressing question in your life, like, okay, am I focused on eternity? Is my whole lifestyle orientated towards eternity? Is there some sense of whatever happens to me now and whatever I go through in this life right now is totally secondary because my primary motive is my hope in Christ in eternity. Now, when I came to faith, this was the last thing in, in my mind as a, as a biblical verse. I mean, it was sort of like after the fact, I was cottoning on to and saying, wow, this really reshapes the whole way you do life. This really reshapes the way you deal with the weeds and the difficulties in your current life when you start having an eternal perspective. When you say it's not all about today and this life, and it is about a hope in Christ and eternity. And when that becomes more than just sort of a, a fairy tale belief, but a compelling, driven hope, you know, almost a desire for wanting to experience that sooner, that changes perspective. And it changes the pain that we go through and the difficulties we, have, we face uh, dramatically. So uh, what I want you to get out of the, ser the sermon today is just a, you know, a sense of being able to be patient uh, in this life with all the difficulties, uh, just calling them weeds that just grow up around us, that choke the life out of us, you know. How do we deal with that? How do we have a sense of an eternal perspective, uh, a, a sense of longing uh, for the reality of what we experience in Jesus, you know, intermittently now? How do we have that be just a drawing light that just, that just draws us like a magnet? We're just like looking for more of Jesus, uh, and we want to experience eternity uh, you know, in its full presence. So, Jesus, I, I just pray uh, uh, that you would help me to 
preach, that uh, I could communicate this concept, uh, that not only would it be understood on an intellectual level, but more important, uh, Jesus, that you would stir each heart as I preach, that your love and the plan that you have for each person and the difficulties that they're dealing with right now, that uh, you would encourage them, uh, you would strengthen them, uh, that there'd be a sense of hope and joy. So, Lord, I just welcome your Holy Spirit to do what obviously I cannot do. Uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you've got your Bible, uh, I encourage you to uh, open it and follow along with me. I want to uh, read a parable. If you've got your phone, uh, you know, most people, especially the younger folks, they're not walking around carrying Bibles, and they do walk around with a cell phone. It's almost like can't leave home unless there's a cell phone. And I don't have any problem if you follow along with me with your Bible app, uh, you know, you can see three different versions at the same time as I'm preaching and make sure I've got uh, the right one there. But uh, if you want to open your, uh, your phone and Bible app to Matthew uh, chapter 13, verse 24, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And we're doing this series on uh, the stories Jesus told. And uh, here's a story that uh, Jesus told that, uh, like all of his stories, they kind of have a punchline and they also kind of catch you by surprise because most of the stories Jesus tells, he uses something which is agricultural or something that's accessible that everybody can relate to. But then there's this sort of underlying meaning and it invariably makes you think, you know, or you can sort of think about it at different levels. Uh, initially, it's like superficial. And then the more you ponder it, it's like, wait a bit, there's more to this. And this is one of those parables. Let me just read it. It says, here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do so. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. And then because it's a parable, Jesus just like moves on. <laughs> you know, there's like no explanation. And I'm sure his whole audience is sitting there thinking, what? What was that all about? You know, and on the surface, it's pretty obvious. Uh, Jesus is saying, hey, listen. There are weeds in your life, uh, you know, but there's a time later on when the harvest comes, when it all gets sorted out. And uh, so there's this eternal perspective uh, where Jesus is saying, justice will be done. Uh, it might not seem like it right now, but at the end, at the end of life, at the end of this growing season, 
at the end of the harvest, that's when it's going to be sorted out. And it's really going to be sorted out. Uh, so in the interim, uh, don't worry about it. Well, don't worry about it. It's like you can imagine the farmers, right? They're just like, all I can see is weeds. All I want to do is pull out those weeds. Those weeds irritate me. Everywhere I look, there's weeds. The weeds seem to flourish. They don't need much watering. They just do great. And the weeds hurting. And it's really just annoying. Uh, and yet, the farmer's advice is, just chill. Don't worry about it. Don't have to weed. Just hang out. It'll all work out at the end. You don't want to damage the weed. If you pull them out now, you'll damage it. Just let it be. Wow. Well, you know, on one level, that's kind of helpful. It's like, okay, so if our life have all sorts of rough turns and there's all sorts of things happening around us, uh, there's all sorts of weeds choking out life in us, uh, it is comforting to know that justice will be done. At the, and at the end of life, the good will prevail and the bad will be uh, tossed out. That's very helpful. Uh, and I think we should take some comfort in that. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like, well, what about right now? How do we deal with things right now? And, you know, again, with many of these parables, we sometimes uh, overlook what I've said in the past, where here in the vineyard and in the vineyard movement, uh, we don't overlook it, we kind of highlight it. And that's the little phraseology, the kingdom of God, or in this case, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. And uh, what Jesus is opening up this parable with is this explanation. He's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and in so many of the parables, he then tells a parable. Now, what is not just, you know, many people read the parables by just ignoring that opening phrase. And they just say, okay, Jesus is telling a story, and this is a story, and it's about, you know, the wheat and the weeds and or the tares, and uh, ignore the, the opening phrase, which is like hugely important, or it's a huge insight. So the opening phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, is something we really here at the vineyard lean into. So the, the insight that we get by leaning into it is this. Uh, we realize that in heaven, everything's going to be perfect. But uh, in this particular case, Jesus is saying, hey, life on earth, it's like the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is in full control, but it's not eternity. And there's this excitement where we would love Jesus' future to break into the presence and pull out the weeds. We would love to see God to be really super active. But sometimes the kingdom of God just seems like Jesus is asleep or you can't reach him or he's not doing anything in your life. It just seems like he's distant and all that's happening is the weeds are growing. And Jesus is saying, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like right here on this earth. But don't get discouraged. Jesus isn't asleep. It's not all over. You don't have to lose patience. Have you know, take heart. Because in other places, we can say, well, the kingdom of God is like, and it's all power, and it's all what God can do, and all that God does do. And of course, we want that. But we also don't want to get despondent when we pray for a supernatural act, an end time, eternal thing to happen right now. When it doesn't happen, we shouldn't also get discouraged. We should also be able to survive and exist and thrive 
because we have an eternal perspective. That's, that's what this little parable does for us. It really helps us. Another great uh, news story that was in the news recently, I don't know if you uh, picked up on this, uh, the story about Leroy Smith. Uh, Kevin, if you want to put this uh, photograph up, you may or may not have uh, picked up on this story. But uh, here we have in South Carolina a bunch of Ku Klux Klan folks doing a protest, marching, and doing whatever they're doing. And, um, you know, here you have a group of people which has a history of just hatred towards, you know, black folks. And, yeah, they are marching, parading, doing whatever they're doing. And anyway, one of the members gets overcome with the heat and uh, needs some help. And so the black police officer on duty just like willingly goes and helps the guy, gets him into the shade, and, and you can see this uh, photograph. And in fact, uh, there's other photos where you can really see the face of this police officer. And, uh, you know, he's just like caring and loving towards, you know, which would be in the natural, his enemy. And the thing that was so uh, interesting, why this whole, obviously, why this little photograph went so viral uh, was because it was such a, a contrast of somebody loving and taking care of somebody that, uh, you know, is protesting and pulling for some different cause. But Leroy Smith's statement, uh, when questioned about it afterwards, I think truly was uh, helpful, inspirational, uh, something like, I'd like to emulate. But uh, look, look the way he responded. He said, I've been somewhat surprised by how this photo has taken off and gone viral around the world. Even though I serve as the director of this agency, I consider myself like every other officer who was out there braving the heat on Saturday to preserve and protect. The photo that was captured just happened to be of me. Our men and women in uniform are on the front lines every day helping people regardless of the person's skin color, nationality, or beliefs. As law enforcement officers, service is what is at the heart of what we do. I believe this photo captures who we are in South Carolina and represents what law enforcement is all about. I am proud to serve this great state, and I hope this photo will be a catalyst for people to work to overcome some of the hatred and violence we have seen in our country in recent weeks. I mean, what a remarkable, you know, photograph and a remarkable uh, statement. And, you know, for us as, as Christians, as believers, I mean, how much more so when we say, you know, I just want to love God and I want to love my neighbor and uh, somehow or other I've got to love my neighbor even when they irritate me, you know, at the least, or they really hate me at the worst. Uh, you know, how do I do that? And what a, a great, you know, highlight for those that are in the police, you know, where they're always getting, you know, police often get trashed in a bad, bad name. And here's somebody just saying, look, I, I love serving. Uh, I bring honor to, uh, you know, he brings honor to those that are in service. Uh, just a great attitude, a great um, story that I thought really, represents how somebody can deal with difficulties uh, in day-to-day -day life and challenges 
and just overcome them and just do it so you know winsomely and, and so uh, willingly. But uh, the second part of this parable, uh, it's not just about eternity. Uh, I think the second part of this parable is not just about weeding, but it's also about waiting. Uh, you know, you can't read into parables too much. I mean, normally Jesus is making one point in a parable. And the one point that Jesus is trying to make in this parable is eternity is real. It'll all get sorted out in the end. Hang in there. I mean, that, that's the point. Uh, and the sub-point would be hang in there. Uh, deal with the waiting. Now, what you can't do is say, well, you know, it's about weeding. I'm not going to weed my garden. And if you're a farmer or you're trying to grow a little uh, vegetable patch, uh, that wouldn't go too well. You know, you, you can't read too much into that. Maybe there is a time, I'm not a farmer or a gardener, but, you know, maybe you weed in the beginning, but once the th your crop gets to a certain size, you don't weed because you'll ruin everything, uh, you know, whatever. But that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is eternity and dealing with waiting. Now, none of us like to wait. None of us like to wait. And, you know, one of the things that we experience in America, uh, honestly, is our society is really well geared towards service. I mean, you might not feel that unless you go travel elsewhere in the world. But, you know, if we wait for like 10 minutes, we get irritated. For the rest of the world, I mean, they wait for everything. I mean, the whole day is like a wait. Uh, but we get used to efficiency, and, and we don't like waiting. I mean, if you want to see me get grumpy, you should be driving in the car with me when we hit a toll road, and there's traffic, and there's a backup just because they want to take my money. I mean, it's like, there's nothing that infuriates me more. It's like, I'm paying money to sit in traffic. As soon as we get through the tolls, there's no backup. I mean, it's like, I just, I just don't get it. Why? Because I just hate waiting. I, I just, I'm impatient. And my gosh, if you fly a lot, you realize that the airlines have figured this one out. They make you buy a special credit card and you get extra miles just so that you can get on the plane first. Now, think of the illogicalness of that. I can understand getting off the plane first. Now, that part I get. But getting on first, I, I don't get that part, right? I mean, you'd think if it was logical, they would say, hey, Mr. Wealthy Businessman, first class, business class, why don't you just stand on the side? In fact, these, uh, you know, riffraff, they're going to take about at least 15 minutes to get in their seats and get all their baggage sorted out. Why don't you go take a bathroom break, uh, uh, you know, do a little quick spreadsheet, or, and I'll give you a five-minute warning when you can power down, and once all the riffraff sorted out, you know, you can leisurely go on, and no, 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 we're just like impatient. It's like, okay, first class, get on first. And then you see what happens, right? They all get on first, and they get a little like bottle of something to drink, and then we all come down as plebs, and we bang their knees with our suitcases. We're coming down, they're all trying to look comfortable, and they're really like sitting like this in the chair with the roof like this and just wishing they were off the plane. I mean, we just hate being impatient. We just hate it. It doesn't matter if it's a big deal or a small deal. I mean, we just don't like waiting. And when we wait for like important things, like we're waiting you know, to find the right person to marry or we're waiting for the right career or we're waiting for a break or an opportunity in life uh, or we're waiting to get healed, we'll be battling. I mean, those sort of waits, you know, they really are hard. Uh, there's no easy answer to that. And the ongoing perpetual question that we have uh, is this parable about God's sort of lack of involvement in life. 
uh, when we would say, hey, God, like, why aren't you doing something about it? You know, there's this problem uh, in the world or in society or in politics or in my life. And it's like, you're just doing nothing. You know, God, what's up with you? Or if people don't know God, they'd say, I can't believe in a God that wouldn't, you know, get involved or whatever it is. And we don't have a, a great, you know, rewarding, satisfying answer of why God sometimes seems to be so active and so personal and so wonderful, and other times where God just seems to be distant, and, you know, we don't have easy answers to that. The Lord has given us one answer. It just doesn't seem to satisfy us totally. It's a good answer. It's the Lord's answer, but it's not, you know, we're just like, okay, we get it in part, but is that all there is? And, and, the, and the Lord's answer is, 2 Peter 3, 9, it says this, The Lord isn't being slow about His promise to return, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. And we're like, no. For my sake, for my sake, heal me, find me a job, I need some money, you know, help with the relationship. For my sake, do that, Lord. And the Lord said, no, for your sake. I'm just like, not going to show up too soon. And it's like, okay, God, it's been 2,000 years since you said, no kidding, you're not going to be uh, showing up too quickly. He doesn't want anyone to perish. So he is giving more time for everyone to repent. Boy, and if you look at that on a world scale, you, you get it. I mean, you know, more and more people are, are finding faith in the Lord. And, you know, the gospel is going to like all these places where the gospel has never been uh, presented before. And there's really a, a huge... Uh, number of people that are coming to faith in the world. But at the same time, there's a huge increase in persecution in the world. And, uh, you know, in so one sense, we get comfort by the Lord saying, wait, I'm patient. On the other hand, we get frustrated. We're saying, God, you're too patient. You know, will you just deal with these people and this problem? You get involved. And we have to live in that tension. There's just no uh, easy answer to that. Now, one of the bad mistakes we can make is when we try to be God, where in our limited understanding, uh, we start prescribing what God should be doing. Uh, let me suggest that often doesn't go well. You know, you might think you've got it all sorted out. Your motives are just 100% perfectly pure. There's no downside to God not doing what it is that you're praying about and asking for. It's just, there's only upsides. But God just won't do it, and you're very frustrated by it. I want to remind you, uh, as we close, about Peter's encounter with the Lord in this exact circumstance. Uh, in Matthew 16, uh, 21, I'll just read on from there. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised up from the dead. Okay, so what Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, listen, it's going to be bad. But what I want you to focus on is the eternal part. I don't want you to be focused on like the bad part. What I want you to be focused on, what I want you to have hope in, what I want you to be driven by is the third day. I'm going to rise again on the third day. 
Now, Peter does what you and I all do in prayer. We start arguing with Jesus. We know better. Jesus, what I want for you, what you need to do, you fill in the blank what you want Jesus to do that Jesus just isn't doing for reasons which you just can't explain. Uh, It didn't go too well for Peter. Let me just preface that. But Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him. Now, I don't know if you're reprimanding Jesus in your prayer life or directly or because you're mad at him, but it's okay in one sense to vent. Jesus can take it. But it's not like a winning strategy. Let me put it that way. Uh, And he says, you know, Peter's like, okay, Jesus is here. Jesus is doing a lot of great things. Jesus is going to have his kingdom be. Jesus is going to rule and Jesus is going to reign. And things really go great when Jesus is around. And there's no ways we want Jesus to disappear. I mean, Peter's got the right motive in one sense, but he's missed the eternal sense. And so the outcome is not so good. He's, well, Peter finishes off and says, Heaven forbid, Lord. This will never happen to you. And like we could say, Heaven forbid, Lord. We'll never let this happen this way. You know, we're going to be the good Christians. We're going to be the good soldiers. And then Jesus says this very lovingly, Get away from me, Satan. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Are you calling me Satan? All of a sudden, I thought he was your friend. I thought he was your disciple. I mean, how do you think Peter felt? Uh, you know, get behind me, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. It's like, whoa, okay, I, I messed up a little bit, but Satan? I mean, and then Jesus says, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, it doesn't matter how much we have scientific advancements and understanding, you know, whatever or not, we, can, we can't, from a scientific standpoint, understand God's point of view. That, that's, that's theology. Uh, you know, and trying to understand if miracles are or aren't, you know, real or whatever, whatever. I mean, you can spin your wheels around. That's not going to get you anywhere. What's going to get you somewhere is believing in God and having an eternal perspective and saying, God, some of your ways are just really mysterious. They just really are. But I love you, and I can experience your love, and I can see the goodness that you've done in my life. I can experience what you have done for me and what you've done around me. And even though my particular circumstances might be trying at this particular time, you are a good God, and you love me, and you are for me. And I'm asking God that you'd give me the strength to deal with the weeds until eternity. Now, that's a much better prayer. And yes, you can pray for, you know, healing and breakthrough and all, and God may well do it. But if he doesn't, it's a good prayer to say, God, you love me. I don't understand all your ways. I mean, if Peter had said to God, to Jesus, Jesus, look, this this is just like so confusing to me. All my hopes and dreams of what you were going to do, if you're going to just like get beat up and be mistreated, that just like goes against every part of me. I just love you, Jesus. I want to protect you and help you. You know, that would have gone a little bit better. But he doesn't. He just says what you and I would say, and it doesn't go well. So Jesus, uh, I just pray for your people. Lord, I just pray for every uh, weed in everyone's lives, uh, that we all have weeds. Uh, Lord, uh, we realize this is not heaven. And Lord, we desperately want you to break in. We want you to make a difference and to change, to change us and to change our circumstances, 
and to change relationships all for the better. And we thank you, Lord, that you encourage us to ask and to expect that you do make a difference and you are involved in our lives. But also, Lord, I just pray that we can deal with your silence at times and your seeming distance at times. And, Lord, that we can take comfort that you are large and in charge and also personal. And, Lord, we just hold those things in tension. We, Jesus, we just thank you that you died on a cross, that you made a way for us to experience forgiveness and experience the love of the Father. And you made a way, Lord, by giving us your Holy Spirit to be able to guide us, encourage us, and also expect the supernatural at any point. We thank you for that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, we have the uh, worship team come on up and uh, close us out. And, uh, you know, here at the Vineyard, we always give people an opportunity to receive prayer. I mean, there's always that sense where we're saying, God, you know, I don't know what's difficult in my life, but I'm asking you to, to do the, the breakthrough part, to, to be real. And uh, we invite you to receive prayer. Uh, we invite you to have somebody else pray for you. And, uh, you know, if you're feeling like I've said something today where you should uh, get some prayer for it, I encourage you to have somebody else pray for you. You can either tell them what it is that you want prayer for or just say, hey, I need prayer. Uh, Sue, why don't you share a little bit of before church. We have a group that prays and we ask God for like, hey, God, what is it that you might be doing today? In us. And it was very encouraging because it mirrors what you just preached that God has, oh, we read in Isaiah, that, that God has carried you and will always carry you. He will always provide for you. And in the midst of your challenge, seek his face. Uh, that came from Psalms. Seek his face. And be encouraged by that. So we would like to partner with you today in prayer to whatever, wherever you're at, and whatever it is that you're, you're you might feel challenged with. That we in, want to seek His face with you, and we want you to be encouraged by that, and your faith built up in that. That He is here. He will carry you. He has always carried you. Thank you. Why don't we stand? Uh, oh, Nan, you want something to say? Come on up. Stand up. Uh, we'll do. We're going to close in worship. Let's hear what Lord is. The, the picture I saw was of um, God throwing out a fishing net <laughs> over His people, and um, the fishing net had many fish under it, and. Um, I want to bring this the way God showed me. But it also had holes in it so that the fish who were caught could escape if they so chose to do. They could escape from this net. Uh, but if they did escape, they were going to be out in a very dangerous ocean. 
where they wouldn't be safe. And what God was saying, I believe, is that he has some of us in a place where we may feel a bit almost imprisoned and we may want to get out of this situation. But he wants to encourage us to trust him that we are in a place of safety because he is the one who has thrown the net out and he is protecting us. Good. Thank you. That's an unusual picture, the opposite of what it would seem. And if that applies to you, come on up and receive some prayer. So let's close out in worship. Thank you, Nan. That was good. Thanks, Sue. Thank you, Jesus, that you never fail us, even when it seems like you're silent. Lord, I thank you that a life with you is a life of joy. And Lord, I thank you that you desire us to experience peace and joy despite the difficulties in our life. So Lord, I just pray for your people that they can experience the reality of your love, of your joy and your peace, despite the weeds in their life. In your name, Jesus, amen. Folks, uh, bless you. You're welcome. Just hang out in your seat and pray to the Lord. If you'd like somebody to pray for you, come on up front. Uh, if you want to get coffee and get into conversation, uh, take it out in the lobby. But uh, I ask you just don't chat around those that are receiving prayer just so that they can have some uh, quiet and some uh, space to pray. Bless you. Have a great week.